Uh, it is a pleasure to be here. Uh, I have the opportunity, as uh, Steve was saying, to travel around to different places, and I got to travel all the way from Westfield today because that's where we live. So, you know, we were, my wife and I were first in this building right after we moved to Indianapolis 24 years ago. Uh, we were living in Broad Ripple at the time, and, uh, and this was quite a commute. At, I mean, Carmel was way in the middle of nowhere for us. So we, we came then. Uh, our recent experiences is one of our, one of our children uh, plays in a band, and there used to be concerts, you know, couple of times a month in the warehouse behind us here and so we would uh, come up every once in a while as parents follow their children and their bands around to listen to them so that was kind of where we were so uh so kids yeah anybody have kids any kids ever cause conflict in your marriage yeah yeah uh, we, we we've been there too uh we have three wonderful children we have one just graduated from college Yes, uh, another who's going to his junior year of college and a, a daughter going into her junior year of high school at, at Westfield. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't that long ago um, my wife and I were, were had gone to bed. And one thing I love about cell phones today is you can set them to only go off for certain people. You know, I, I used to travel quite a bit more than I do now. So when I travel, I can set my phone to just go off if it's family members. And so it, it's still that way. So if the phone rings after midnight... Uh, you know, that, that's good news and bad news. You know, it's, it's good news in that it's a family member calling, but it's after midnight, so that's usually bad news, because I don't know about you, but my college-age boys don't call after midnight to say, hey, Dad, was just thinking about you, wanted to say uh, that I love you. Don't get those kind of phone calls. So the phone goes off. It's our, our oldest son, and it's, you know, it's not a huge deal. It wasn't as bad as uh, uh, just a few months ago when the phone rings, and he goes at 3 in the morning, and he's like, Dad, um... Apparently, my car's been stolen, and it had been right out of his right out of the parking lot of their house. Uh, but th- this one was just a flat tire. Now I can't remember if he, you know, didn't have a, a spare in his car or a jack in his car, whatever it was. But they, he and his girlfriend were driving back from Terre Haute to Bloomington from a concert, and they were literally in in Indiana nowhere on a little bridge. They the car the wheel uh, tire had blown out on the bridge itself. So, so again, c- couldn't change the flat. So calls, and so, you know. Not a, not a real emergency, but 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 men, as a dad, what mood, what mode? I'm sorry, do I shift into right away? It's it's fix it mode. It's t- it's t- I got my kids need me, so I get up and tie on my cape uh, and uh, and go into my office, which is right off right off our bedroom, and I, I start you know fixing things. I can pull up on Google Earth. I can see right where they are. He kind of knows where they are. Uh, you know, and I'm calling AAA, and, you know, and I find out that after midnight at AAA, only 15-year-olds are answering the phone, so that was kind of a problem. Uh, so I had to work through that a little bit, and, um, but, but, but I'm, I'm working on it. I'm going to get somebody out there and get the kids back to where they belong. Ladies, what, what does my wife want, want to do at this point? She, she, she wants to talk about it. She wants to process how, you know, why maybe this happened. Uh, you know, she, she makes a comment. You know, God bless her. She makes a comment. Uh, you know, I, why didn't Joel catch that tire the last time joel's our mechanic the la- what so now all of a sudden i'm thinking okay i take it to the mechanic and i start i'm in fix it mode and she wants to process it mode and so i begin to feel criticized I- is that her goal no not not at all but i'm in fix it mode and we're starting to talk about why this happened and and the mechanic comes up who i'm the one that deals with the mechanics so all of a sudden i'm feeling like it's my fault that our kids are out there in the middle of nowhere and again, I, I have i have no desire to talk about it i'm in fix it mode uh, so this goes on and on and on back and forth uh, finally, you know, triple A's on the way out there. Uh, go back to bed now. Now I, as the father, I'm going to step and wait till everything's resolved. And my wife, you know, uh, wonderful, and she is here, so I have to be careful what I say. When I travel to, like, to Wisconsin, it's a little easier. Uh, I'm just kidding, babe. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> or Washington State. That's, that's a long ways away. Um, 
<laughs> uh, she, she just, she's, she's horizontal, so she goes right back to sleep. Uh, so I'm staying up and, you know, texting back and forth. You know, a little while later, AAA's here. You know, a few minutes later, the tire's changed. Great. You know, text me when you're back at your dorm. You know, it's another half an hour. We're back or we're back at school, and so everything's good. So, so I get up and walk over to take my wife's glasses off because uh, she's falling asleep with them on. And I reach over and begin to pull them off. And she goes, what are you doing? I'm taking your glasses off. Well, I'm waiting up until the kids are, kids are all okay. Kids are fine. They're already back at school. Everything's good. <laughs> then there's that question. Why didn't you wake me up? Uh, I don't, I don't, what could you have done? I don't know. But now since we're into this argument about why I didn't wake her up to let her know that everything was okay or let her know when AAA got there and let her know when they were back on the road. And I thought I was doing the loving thing. And she, So anyway, so this starts going back and forth. Remember, this, this is late at night. And finally one of us, probably her, because I can step and fight all night. Uh, probably her, she finally goes, you know what? I'm going to bed. And we'll talk about this tomorrow. So I said, fine, go to bed. We'll talk about this tomorrow. And we got up the next morning, and we resolved it all, and, and everything is good. And, and, I, and I've learned, after, our, after we process this the next morning, if we're ever in that situation again, every five minutes, I'm going to poke her. No, everything's okay. Nothing's changed. It, no, I probably won't. I'm just kidding. All right, now, now, now you see why they asked me to come this week. Because this week we're talking about fighting in marriage and fighting in relationships. Uh, and... and Studies have shown, I, I, if I'm a, a geek at all, I'm a data geek when it comes to understanding relationships. Because we have all of the data that tells us why relationships succeed and why relationships fail. As, as some friends of mine at the University of Denver say, why marriages fail is not a, mess, not a mystery and why marriages succeed is not a matter of luck. We, we, we know, we've got the data, we understand it. And the number one predictor of how successful any relationship you have is going to be is how you handle conflict. Period, end of story, jury's in, we have the verdict. How you handle conflict. Not if you have conflict, but how you handle it. And again, this is true for marriages, this is true in your relationship with your children, this is true in your relationship with your boss, your neighbors, everybody. It's how you handle conflict. And so we shouldn't be surprised that God has a lot to say about this whole subject of conflict. So we're in the middle of this series from this day forward, and the question that's being asked is, can you stay in love for a lifetime? Everybody on the day they get married says they're in love, right? And if you got married outside of Hollywood, you got married expecting that love to last and that marriage to last. You know, we won't go into all the data about marital breakup. We've all been through that. We all heard the data, and, and we all know people that have gone through that, that, that pain. And let me say again right here that from this day forward, we're emphasizing where we go from here. Any sinners in the room? Yeah, me too. Uh, we all have past. We all have hurts. We all have, we all have brokenness. God cares about where we're going from here. Uh, I press on towards the upper goal of, of, of God in Christ Jesus, Paul writes. So from this day forward, so where, wherever relationships you're in, if you're single, if you're married, uh, wherever that is, how are you going to handle this moving forward? But for married couples and for those that are in romantic relationships, the question of can love last? Well, first thing we have to decide is, is, is what is love? Now, I, again, in this business of, of working uh, in, in marriages, I, I've heard a lot of different things said. And there are, there's a pretty big school of thought within the Christian uh, faith that we should just forget about this whole passion romantic aspect of love. You know, that's, that, that, that's there for a while, but you're going to get past it, and, and you need to not worry about that. You just need to stay married and not worry about passion and excitement and so forth. And, and from Tim Gardner's perspective, I think that's a huge mistake. 
Because God created the passion piece. And so we need not ignore it. We need to understand it. Now, best description I've, the description I've heard of love, or best way to describe it, is, is with a tripod like this. Oh, this, will this close? Maybe. Oh, it closes like this. See, I didn't read the instructions before I came up here. Um, we need to understand what love is. We use love in a strange way. Uh, you know, we use love. I, you know, I love the Colts, and I love the Pacers, and I love Taco Bell, and I love my dog, and of course, I love my wife and kids too. Uh, and so, the, you know, what, what does the word really? What does the word really mean? Well, in in uh, Greek, and for those of you that have had Psych 101 in college, you may have heard of Sternberg's Triangle. And no disrespect to Dr. Sternberg. He didn't come up with this. Uh, this. This is God's plan, God's design. So there are three components to love that we need to pay attention to. The first one is the love of friendship. In the Greek, this is phileo. Uh, you enjoy being with somebody. They're friends. You know each other. You like each other. And, and this is a great part of love. But if this is all you have, then that's what you have. You have a friendship. The second component is passion. Eros in the Greek. Now, eros gets a bad rap because uh, eros on its own... Is, is either lust or infatuation. You know, it's the person that just can't stop thinking about that other person or, or it's lust. So in the Bible, it gets a bad rap sometimes because it just gets focused on as lust. But God created this part too. The, part, the, 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 the sensual desire for another person is a God-given desire. God gives us a boundary and a context for that. So passion is important. Friendship is important. These two together is what we call newlywed love, a romantic love. This is where people decide to get married. I like you and I can't keep my hands off of you. Okay. There's a third component, and it's the love of commitment. This is agape in the Greek. This is the one we know of. This is the love of the will. This is love of choice. This is, this is something I can decide to do. Now, this on its own is simply that. I'm committed. Don't really like you. No passion. But I'm, I'm committed to you. Commitment and friendship on its own, where a lot of Christian marriages drift to, is best friends. We like each other, but that whole romance part is gone, but we, we still like each other. Commitment and passion on its own is a sexual affair. People having affairs say really stupid stuff like, that's the best sex I ever had. Yeah, because you're committed to sex. These two on its own, and this will die. This is why 90, 90, 90% of marriages that, that grow out of an extramarital affair end in divorce. Because when this part goes, that part's empty. All three create love. Commitment drives the bus. If we're not feeling that close to our spouse anymore, commitment to the friendship. If the passion has begun to die, then commitment to that. We need to understand what love is. And God is big on all three because God created all three. We're in this series from this day forward. First week was pursue God, seek God. And that's the foundation for all of us, that we do that first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Uh, last week you talked about have fun. So there were the Snickers for those that, 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 that missed this week. But it was the fact that, again, God, God created the passion piece. God created marriage to be fun. I'm one of those guys that pictures God as having a tremendous sense of humor. Uh, and you've heard the old joke, he has to to have people like me. And that's, you know, if you knew me, you would really understand that. Uh, but but, but it's, there's the, 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 the fun piece of it is part. And today we're talking about fighting fair or, or fight right. How do we fight in a healthy way? Uh, and then next week you're going to cover uh, Never Give Up. All right, so our passage this morning um, is, is from the... I'm going to show it from the message. It's a rather long passage, but it, it really kind of helps us understand a very important question here at the beginning of this conversation, and that's simply this. Why do people fight to begin with? 
Why do people argue? Why do people have disagreements? So we can pull the verse up. Out of James chapter 3, James writes this. Do you want to be counted wise to build a reputation for wisdom? Well, then here's what you do. Live well, live wisely, live humbly. It's the way you live, not the way you talk, that counts. Mean-spirited ambition isn't wisdom. Boasting that you are wise isn't wisdom. Trusting, uh, trust, I'm sorry, twisting the truth to make yourself sound wise isn't wisdom. It's the furthest thing from wisdom. It's animal cunning, devilish conniving. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at each other's throats. Real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life. This is last week, or the first week, seeking God first. It begins with a holy life and is characterized, this is this week, with getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. Where do you think all of these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourself. That last part answers our question. Where do our quarrels come from? You want one thing, I want something else. It's just that simple. It can be as inane as we have different opinions about the best college football team. Or it can be as serious as a dispute in marriage over money or parenting or sexual relationship or anything like that. But it's because you want one thing and I want something else. That's why we quarrel. That's why you quarrel with anybody. You have different opinions on it. But what's important to understand is that the Bible does not say, it doesn't say here nor does it say anywhere, do not fight. It never says that. It says when you argue, when you have these differences, we need to learn to treat each other with dignity and honor. It's not if we fight, it's how we fight. Now, as we go into explaining some of these different models of the way people fight, I, I only have one rule when I ever talk about marriages, and it's this. It's the no nudging rule. If I say something you think applies to your spouse, you can't go, I hope you're listening to this. <laughs> that includes the no kicking rule, and a while back I had to add the no amen rule because I made a comment about women, and a guy in the back row said, amen. Okay, i got to add that one too. No nudging, no kicking, and the no amen rule. You know, again, from research, we know that there are five basic types of couples when it comes to how we resolve conflict. And I'm going to go through this rather quickly. You can tell I talk quickly already. Uh, and and I, don't, I don't care if you remember the labels for this, but what I want you to remember or what I want you to think about is where do we fit? There, there are three types of engaged of conflict couples uh, that can be happy. And there are two types that usually end, that lead towards unhappiness and often marital dissolution. Now, it may not be what you normally think. Some people think that in a healthy Christian, God-loving marriage, that uh, if you have any conflict, it should always sound like this. Well, yes, honey, I understand that's what you think. And maybe we should do it. And we never raise our voices. We never get upset. And that all healthy couples are going to be like that. Well, in the words of Larry the Cucumber, you couldn't be more wronger. Uh, it's, uh, it doesn't have to be that way. There, there are different ways we resolve conflict. And here they are. The first one is what we call a validating couple. And it's just like it sounds. This is a couple that works hard to validate, uh, it, which, which means to say that the other person's opinion is okay. That's saying, I understand that you feel that way. They work hard to validate each other's opinions and perspective. Uh, they have a low conflict 
uh, uh, engagement. They, they, they avoid the, the dangerous or hurtful comments to each other. They work to validate each other. They work to understand each other. They understand that so many of our conflicts are unresolvable, and so they work hard to validate. That's the majority of the happily married couples. Now, the second category, uh, which is what I was describing a while ago for my wife and I, and this isn't us all the time, but this has been us sometimes, is what we call the volatile couple. I didn't say hostile. Volatile is completely different. Volatile is is usually two independent people, two strong-willed people uh, who have very strong opinions. (laughs) And if there's an argument, whether it's, again, about money, kids, sex, uh, chores, whatever it might be, they bring strong opinions to it. But this can be a a very happy marriage. We have an incredibly happy marriage, and this is us sometimes. But understand, volatile is not hostile, so that means we can disagree and still treat each other, as James writes, with dignity and honor. We can raise our voices. We can get upset. We can go, well, you know what? I don't think that's the best idea. But we don't attack each other. And you can still have a very happy marriage if that's your model. The third type, and this is only about 6% of the happy couples, uh, is what we call the avoider marriage, and they are just what they sound like. They just, you know what, they're so committed to the marriage, and they're so committed to the institution of marriage, and even to each other, that they just avoid conflict. I was just on the phone yesterday with a pastoral couple out of uh, another state, and this, this was them. They've been married 20-something years, have five kids. He's been a pastor for 23 years. Uh, but, you know, they just avoid all their conflicts, and it, it has caused some problems. They've stayed married, but they're, they're not really engaged because a lot of, one of the things we know about this type of couple is that they, they don't have a lot of us, typically. Uh, they avoid some of the conflicts because they avoid some of life together. Now, those are the three ones that can still be relatively happy or happy. Now, we've got the other two. The first one is, back to this, not the volatile word, this is the hostile word. This is the hostile, engaged couple. They, they are going through life together. They fight a lot. They fight about many, many things. But hostile versus volatile. Hostile now, you're my enemy. I'm not treating you with dignity and respect. I'm treating you as if you're wrong. I'm treating you as if you need to come around to my way of thinking. And these couples usually end up in, 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 in a, a, a marital breakup. Now, a higher percent of marital breakup couples fall into the last category. And this is what we call the hostile detached couple. They don't really argue. Or if they argue, it's over unimportant things. But they are detached. They are not going through life together. They are disengaged. They, they have kind of fallen out of love with each other. But you know what? We really don't fall out of love. We really beat the love out of each other normally. And they finally come to the point of saying, you know what? I'm, I'm just not enjoying life with you anymore. It's a lot easier just to step out of this relationship. So they're, they're, they're not willing to listen to each other's perspectives. They have a lot of internal thoughts that are just like, well, you're wrong. So, so you see, it's not, it's not if we have conflict. It's how, it's how we handle it. How we handle it. In the book of Proverbs, it says this. Reckless words pierce like a what? Sword. Close though. Our words that are not with dignity and respect pierce each other like a sword. That's how relationships fall apart. All right, so we're going to look at, uh, at some, some truths about all relationships, and especially about marriage, as we launch into the seven points I'm going to leave you with, the seven things to remember to, to resolve conflict well. Here are a couple of things. As Max Lucado says, uh, writer and pastor Max Lucado, conflict is inevitable, but combat is not. Studies have shown that almost 
70% of things that couples argue about are what we call perpetual problems or unresolvable issues. We're never going to see eye to eye. And we need to understand that that's okay. So, so, so conflict is inevitable, but combat is not. Here, here, here's a foundational truth in the way God created you and me. It, it, it's true in so many areas of our life. A foundational truth about you and I as people is God has given us the ability to choose how we respond to anything. One of the most misused phrases on the planet is, you make me so angry. My kid's grown up. Well, you know, she made me. Well, he made me. Okay. You may not like what they did. They might have started something first. I get all that. But your anger is yours. Because when I blame you for my anger, I've given up control of my emotions. I blamed you for my emotions. And I've also blamed you for whatever I do next. If I scream, holler, and throw something, by golly, it's your fault because you made me this way. And the simple reality is... Whatever I do or say, the words that come out of my mouth, the actions that I, uh, that I commit are my choice. And understanding that takes us a long way down the road in understanding how to resolve conflict. God gave you and I the ability to choose. He gave us that ability to choose if we're going to follow him or not. If we're going to believe him or not, trust him or not, worship him or not. We have the ability to choose. Point number one. Point number two. One of the most documented truths of relationships is that relationships work on what we call the bank account principle. Now, I don't know who came up with this. I've heard multiple people claim it. I don't care, to tell you the truth. Uh, but we know that it's true, that, that relationships work on a series of deposits and withdrawals. You do things nice to people. Uh, you, you speak nicely to your spouse. You, you do nice things for them. You, you, you give them gifts. You do things that are meaningful to them. All those types of things are deposits in the relationship. And then there are withdrawals in the relationship, which are simply the opposite of all of that. Mean words, hurtful words, forgetting things, not doing things that are nice for them. You know, research has determined that's really rather sad. The first thing that dis- disappears from a marriage after a couple gets, gets married is simply being nice to each other. They quit making deposits. But what's different in this ratio is it's not a dollar in, dollar out. You know, you put $10 in the bank, if you have a, you know, a fee-free account, you can spend $10. In a relationship, there's a ratio. It takes as many as five, or as few as five, and in some cases as many as 25 positive interactions for every one negative. Shows you how powerful the negative is in our relationships. If you quit being nice to each other, it's no surprise that a relationship quickly becomes overdrawn. If you quit making deposits, if you quit choosing, you quit the commitment part of this, and you quit being nice to each other, again, it's no wonder that relationships begin to fall apart. The relationship principle is key to understanding how relationships work. Back to my choice. If I'm not feeling that close to my spouse, if I'm not feeling that close to my kids, my friends question I have is, what deposits am I making? What withdrawals am I making? Am I paying attention to this ratio? Because it is very, very true. I, I mentioned a while ago about unresolvable issues and perpetual problems. Uh, these things called perpetual problems, we all have them. Let me, let me t- let's take a little test. How many of you in here are punctual people? You need to be on time. It drives you crazy if you're not on time. Raise your hand proud. Okay. 
How many of you, if you show up on the right day, it counts? All right, you raise your hand proud as well. All right. How many of you are a place for everything and everything in its place? You're neat, you're tidy, you're organized. Okay. How many of you, if at the end of the day, the house is standing, the kids are alive, the dog's tail is wagging, it was a good day? All right. Raise your Okay. How many of you, you put on a pair of pants, you have more than a couple of weeks, you find a, pair, you find a $20 bill, that money is gone. You're the spenders in the group. All right, raise your hand proud. I know you're out there. How many of you, you're the savers? Oh, man, I owe 20 bucks. So I'm going to put that away for something. All right, good. Uh, how many of you are, are night people? You're just getting cranking about 9 o'clock at night. How many of you are so happy in the morning you drive everybody else nuts? Uh, okay, see, all of these things and many, many more are personality preferences. They're our wiring. It's how we encounter and relate to the world. There's not a right, nor there's a wrong. I'm convinced some of the biggest fights in America just happened as the families were getting ready to go to church because the punctual person was where? In the car. Uh, winter, the leather seats are heated up or the air conditioner's on, everything's set, let's go, the house is locked, get in, we got to go, we got to get our seat, come on, and the tardy person is where? Inside doing a, a God only knows what. Uh, and, 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 you know, I, I met a guy a while back who said he could not leave the home or his wife could not leave the home until she went around and straightened all the curtains like they were going to get robbed by Dutch thieves who cared how neat and tidy the house was. Uh, he just he couldn't leave. Now, it'll get, and then that couple gets in the car and they do two one of very useful things all the way to church. They either scream and holler at each other all the way to church, but you know I like to be on time. Well, if you'd help me with the kids, well, if you'd do that. And then they walk in and go, yes, Jesus, praise the Lord. Good to see you, brother. This is the day the Lord has made. Pretend like nothing happened. Or they use the ever-popular silent treatment. Yeah, how many conflicts does that resolve? I'll show you. I just won't talk to you. Point being, we have different feelings about being on time. What love does is A, understand that, and then B, move towards the other person. We need to understand we will never feel about it the same way. We just won't. The, the, the tardy person just doesn't understand that the punctual person literally begins to churn inside if they're going to be late. And so out of love, I can learn to be on time. The punctual person can either help the other person more, get out the door, we're a team, let's make this happen more. And they can also depersonalize it because it's not like that person's in there going, I know this is going to really tick her off. I'm just going to stay in here and watch TV a little bit longer. You know, I mean, I'm one of those that thinks, I got five minutes. I can send three emails, make two phone calls. I, I can't. I, I, I just misjudge my time. Love understands those things. Love accepts those things. Love realizes we're never going to see eye to eye on so many issues. So love helps me move towards my, my partner. Another thing to understand. Uh, we know this from research. This comes out of all of John Gottman's work and a lot of the prep research out of University of Denver um, uh, Center for Marriage and Family Studies is why relationships fall apart. Now, this is we've covered a little bit of this, but I'll go through this rather quickly. Uh, John Gottman calls these the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse represent, in apocalyptic literature, the end of the earth. If these four horsemen show up, it's over. Uh, in Gottman's research, if these four things show up in a relationship, it's doomed. First one is this, criticism. Criticism. This isn't a complaint. Complaints are legitimate. Complaints are, honey, you said you were going to be home at 6. You didn't get home till 7. You didn't call. You didn't let us know. The kids were waiting around for dinner. I feel like that's just kind of rude. That's a criticism. I mean, that's a complaint. Legitimate. Criticism goes at the person's character. What is wrong with you? Can't you ever be on time? You are such a selfish. Do I need to buy you a watch? Now I'm going at the person's character. So I'm criticizing you for who you are. Horseman number one. 
In situations like that, legitimate excuses and reasons are okay. Honey, you're right. Uh, I was on 465 and there was a wreck today and my cell phone was dead and I didn't have my charger. I couldn't call. I probably should have pulled off to call you. Uh, Boy, I'm really sorry. I'll work to not let that happen again. That's a legitimate reason. Defensiveness is the second horseman. Defensiveness blames the other person. Defensiveness is, well, if you were more pleasant to come home to, maybe I would be on time. If I ever got a warm kiss and hug when I walked in the door instead of a cold, dead fish criticized me about my day, maybe I'd show up when I was supposed to show up. If you're wondering, those aren't good things to say in a relationship. So criticism goes at the person's character. Defensiveness blames the other person for the situation. The third and the most dangerous of all horsemen is is contempt. Contempt. Contempt is anything that communicates, I'm better than you, I'm smarter than you, I can't stand to be around you. When I used to do marriage counseling more on a full-time basis, a couple would come in and, you know, tell me your story and what's going on, and one person's talking, the other person over there going, (laughs) which is code for, can you believe what a moron I'm married to? Contempt. So if those three horsemen are in your relationship, I think you feel there's something wrong with me, I'm broken, that that you feel everything is my fault, that you think you're smarter than me and better than me and can't stand to be around me, the fourth horseman that shows up is withdrawal or stonewalling, which means I'm done. Every time I try to resolve a conflict with you, I end up getting hurt and blamed. Why am I having this conversation anymore? This is when most people show up at marriage counseling. Studies have shown the average couple shows up at marriage counseling six years after they realize they have a problem. So most of them show up DOA. Conflict, the number one predictor. They don't handle it well. They show up at the pastor's office, the counselor's office, and one, if not both of them, are like, you know what? I don't care if you can levitate the table, walk on water. I'm not getting back in this. I've just started healing my heart. I'm not getting back in this. Avoid the horsemen. We have choices in all of those situations. Another truth I want just to understand is that by God's design... The male brain and the female brain are different. We're going to watch a little clip that kind of helps highlight that.
Our brains process certain things differently as men and women. It's not a right or wrong. It's the way God designed us. One of the interesting things that we need to understand is, uh, is that talking about the relationship makes women feel better. Talking about the relationship and its problems make men feel worse. Now, here's why. Uh, when, when there's stress in a relationship, a woman is, is tapping into her biggest fear in a relationship, and that's the fear of being unloved. So she comes and says to her husband in a well-meaning way, one of the worst things she can say to him, Honey, we need to talk. Because what he hears is, I'm getting ready to be told everything I'm doing wrong. Now, in her brain, the stress hormone, stress hormone cortisol, and the fear has gone up in, into the what we call the tend and befriend part of the brain. She wants to move towards her husband to have that resolved and soothed so she feels better. What happens in the man is it goes down into the fight-or-flight response, and it pushes his biggest button in a relationship, and that's the shame response. And what he hears is, I'm not doing enough for you. I'm not loving you like you need to be loved. I'm not fighting for your heart like I need to. So he feels worse because he feels like he is failing you. And so the dance of so many marriages is that. Wife's trying to feel closer, and the husband feels attacked and moves away. Now, what we need to understand, men... That's not why our wives are coming to us most of the time. They're not coming to us to complain about what we're doing. They're feeling scared because they're feeling unloved. Women, we need to understand, you need to understand, that in coming to your husband and we need to talk about this and, and talking about problems can make him feel worse if it comes in a way of you need to do this better and you need to do this better. It works much better if we come along side by side. You know, it's a very common argument in a marriage. Uh, is is driving. Driving out, you know, now, now again, there's so many other differences in the brain. Women can smell better, see better, taste better. They can see colors in the rainbow men can't see. Men can see more focused, more direct. Men can see spatially better. Now, the guys and gals, this goes back to, to our survival uh, in, 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 you know, ancient caveman times. Men can hear better at night. They can hear more focused. They can hear one sound and see one person, and there's where the threat is. Women can hear 14 kids crying in another room and know which one is hers, because they can distinguish that. Men don't have quite that ability, but it goes back into the whole nurturing way, and there's, there's not a right or wrong in this. It's just the way our brains are, 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 are processing things. But we need to understand as we bring that, let's go back to the driving. Men are driving along. We all think we can drive NASCAR. We do. We can go 200 miles an hour and be three inches apart because we can see spatially better. More men are engineers. Women can be engineers. Don't hear this as a sexist thing. More men are engineers because their brain processes spatially better. It's just a fact. Uh, and so, again, not a right or wrong or, or better or worse. In that conversation, when a woman says, would you slow down? What he hears is, I'm being criticized for my driving. You feel, I'm, you're, you feel that uh, he doesn't hear it as you're not safe. You don't feel safe because of the way he's driving. He hears it as you're criticizing him. It works much better usually to say, you know what, honey, it would make me feel better if you would slow down a little bit. And then guys can go, well, you know, I can, I can drive faster if I wanted to, but for my wife's sake, I'll slow down a little bit. Because now we're doing something for her. It gets us on the same side of things. But we need to understand this, folks, that our brains process differently. So we need to come to each other differently. We need to learn to offer compassion for each other. We talk a lot in the world of leadership about empathy. Uh, you know, boy, you know, you empathize, and I got to put myself in your shoes. But you know what? I've seen my wife give birth three times. I can't empathize with that. 
what I can do is offer compassion, which means I can care about it even when I don't get it. Now, I can give, a, you know, a day sermon on, on the differences between men and women, but we need to understand that God created us different in more ways than the plumbing, and we will go farther in our relationships if we understand that. And we begin to offer compassion to each other. We approach each other for the sake of the relationship and not in a combative situation. Women need to learn to approach husbands in a way, say, you know what, honey, I love you. Uh, it would mean a lot to me if you would. Men need to learn to hear their wives coming to them as she's feeling unloved. And we need to buckle up, suck it up, and, and work to love her better because that's our job. Okay? All right. Because, uh, because, you know, we need to understand that, that I'm not feeling loved or I'm feeling ashamed or not conscious thoughts. You know, when's the last time, uh, ladies, that your husband said to you, you know, honey, when you criticize my driving, I just feel so ashamed. <laughs> yeah, no, because he, he doesn't realize that that's the button that's being pushed. Uh, you know, when's the last time you saw, you know, a, a woman wearing a T-shirt? Death before dishonor, which is a man's motto. Uh, so we just need to understand those things about ourselves. Okay, now, into seven rules. Uh, okay, seven strong suggestions I would make. We're putting all of this together. Uh, you know, that come out of this talk, scripture, research, everything else. And we talk about uh, uh, fighting fair, and I like the idea of fighting right. There's a right way to fight. Rule number one, learn to take a timeout. Scott Stanley, friend of mine, University of Denver, I'm blessed to have him as a buddy, testifies in front of Congress all the time. He's one of the leading marital researchers on the planet. Uh, If you ask Scott, hey, Scott, you've been studying why marriages succeed and fail for, for over three decades. You know, 15 seconds. What's the most important thing you can tell me? He will say, learn to take a time out. Learn to be smart enough to realize if we keep having this conversation, one or both of us is going to say something we regret. When we get into conflict with our spouse and the conflict escalates to to a, a more intense level, there's this part of your brain called the amygdala which takes over your brain and says, enemy, enemy, enemy. And we say things that we don't mean and don't want to say and we say them for one reason and one reason only, and that's to throw a verbal punch at the other person. We feel attacked, we feel hurt, and so our amygdala hijacks our brain and causes us to say things that we don't really believe. Taking a time out allows us to do just that, get my brain back in order, take a deep breath, come, you know, and have that conversation. Learn to take a time out. Number two, go to bed. Many of us have heard, never go to bed angry. You ever heard that? You know, you get the Hollywood couple that's, you know, on Letterman or Leno, God, you've been married 18 months. How'd you make it? Uh, well, you know, we failed to never go to bed angry. Well, that's just silly. It just makes you fight tired. It makes you fight stupid. Uh, back to the personality piece, the night person like me, I'll stay up and fight all night. My wife's like, I'm going to bed. Leave me alone. Uh, but it comes out of a misunderstanding of that scripture that says, be angry, yet do not let the sun go down on your bad interpretation. Literally, it says, be angry, yet do not sin. It's not an imperative, be like, you better be angry, but it's, it's okay to be angry, but do not sin. The literal translation is, let not the sun go down on your wrath. Same root word, different word. Wrath is, you know what? When I get up tomorrow, you're going to get it. I'm going to think, I'm going to lay here tonight and think about all the things I'm going to say to you tomorrow. And that's how I'm going to get even, and I'm going to, you know, uh, that's the vengeful, that's wrath. That's I'm going to be thinking about how I'm going to punish you and get back at you and get revenge. It's vengeful anger. That's what we don't let the sun go down on. 
If you're having conflict, it's perfectly fine to say, you know, honey, I love you. I don't like you a whole lot right now. Uh, and and let's, just get a, let's just go to bed. In, in our marriage, 90% of the time, you wake up the next day, the thing I thought was such a big deal last night because my brain has been regenerated due to, due to sleep isn't that big a deal anymore. Time out, number one. Number two, go to bed. Number three, laugh. You got married hoping this was going to be a fun relationship. We need to learn to laugh. Laughing regenerates our brain. It brings so many positive hormones into us. It, it, it decreases our stress. Now, not laugh at each other uh, unless it's a self-deprecating way. Uh, you know, re- there's a whole body of research on what we call repair attempts, that I'm going down this road in this conflict where I'm going to say something I regret, and a little joke kind of brings us back on track and keeps us from going down that road and saying stuff we, believe, we, we don't really believe. Learn to laugh. Have fun. Find out what's fun in your relationship and do it. You had a whole sermon on that last week. Have fun. Laugh. Number four, shut your mouth. There are so many people that just can't resist throwing in that last verbal shot. Learn to say, you know, is this a hill I really want to die on? Ask yourself the question, would I rather be right or would I rather be happy? Because I can promise you, if you have to always be right, you will not always be happy. I talked to a lady uh, a while back, got divorced after 35 years. Statistically, your chances of divorce after you've been married over 30 years is nil, statistically. Doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but on a chart, on a graph, it's nil. They got the divorce. Her husband used to call her two cents because she couldn't have, she could never stop giving her two cents opinion about everything. And he finally had it. I'm not blaming her or him in that situation. Please don't hear that. But that was an instigating factor of him saying, I can't do this anymore. And even in counseling, when I explained all this to him, she still couldn't stop doing it. She couldn't stop it. She couldn't, she couldn't just, and I told her, you've got to learn to shut up. Learn to be quiet. Number four. The first wedding present ever given. No five, isn't it? Thank you. <laughs> my, da- my, my, great, my daughter is a lot smarter than I am in a lot of ways. Last week, her, her critique of my sermon was, you got the numbers all messed up. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Just hold up your numbers, sweetie. Hold up your fingers. Um, the next one, I'll do it that way. The first wedding present ever given was the gift of acceptance. We need to learn to accept that our spouse is different from us. We need to learn to accept them as God's gift to us. We need to quit trying to change them. When, when, when God brings Eve to Adam... Adam didn't say, gee, God, thanks. We wanted a blonde, a little taller, didn't talk quite so much. He didn't. He gave her the gift of complete and total acceptance. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman if she was taken out of man. Where you are strong, I am weak. All these great double entendres in the Hebrew. But it was the gift of acceptance. But women, you know, you know what you need to know? Is that studies have shown that the average man would change nothing about their wives. Now, we as men need to communicate that better. But the average man would change nothing about his wife. The gift of acceptance. Because so many times in our fights, they switch into personal attacks. Well, if you were this, and if you were different, and if you were more, and if you were more on time, and we're arguing about these perpetual problems and unresolvable issues. Number six, take responsibility for yourself. Own you. Back to the choice factor. Arguments turn into, this is what you did. Oh, well, this is what you did. I've got to be responsible for me and take responsibility for the words that come out of my mouth. And if I say something hurtful, I need to apologize. 
the actions that I take, the things that I do and I don't do, the deposits that I, uh, I don't make or the withdrawals that I do make, all of that is up to me. Remember the three parts of the, parts of the tripod? Commitment. If you're not feeling very close to your spouse as a friend, then commit to be friends and start doing the things you did at first, the writer of the book of Revelation says. If your sex life and that part of your marriage is falling apart, commit to fixing it. No, we misunderstand eros, uh, passion. It is not a self-sustaining emotion any more than a flower garden is a self-sustaining flower garden. There's a, C.S. Lewis came up with this illustration. If you see a beautiful flower garden, you can, guarantee, you're, you're, you can guarantee yourself, you can promise yourself that somebody is watering it, fertilizing it, pruning it, weeding it, taking care of it. If you see somebody that's madly in love, can't keep their hands off each other after 20, 25 years, luck had nothing to do with it. They watered it, pruned it, fertilized it, taken care of it. Be responsible for you. And the seventh one is love. Love right. In the great chapter out of Corinthians 13, Paul goes through all these wonderful things about, you know, if you have this and not love and that, and then that great last verse. Now abide three things. Only three things last. Faith, hope, and what? And the greatest of all is what? Never stop loving. Never stop loving. Loving is about pursuing God first. We covered that first week. Love is about having fun. Love is about, in our relationships, pursuing peace. Now, peace is not the absence of noise. When my boys lived at home, the oldest was a drummer. The middle boy was a lacrosse player, which means there was a constant kathunka, kathunka, kathunka on the outside of our house with the ball. And my, and my daughter, God bless her, love her to death. She's sitting right here. She, the woman loves to talk. She's just like me and my mom. Uh, and so it's, it's not about an absence of noise. Commitment to peace is a commitment to keeping the harmony with each other, to making sure that we're not going to let something fester between us. You know, contempt is like cancer in a marriage. It grows and grows and grows. John Maxwell says that conflict is like cancer. The earlier the detection, the greater the chance of a healthy outcome. Deal with it. Pursue peace with each other. Pay attention to the, what the bank deposit, what the balance is in your relationship. You know, I, I no longer have a marriage counseling practice. I've been blessed to, uh, to join a great company in town called Defender Direct. I'm their director of leadership development. Uh, and I'm doing a lot of leadership development. And, but, but you know what? I'm still doing a lot of marriage and family stuff. The company hired me to do that, which is kind of cool. Uh, in a corporate environment. So there's not a week that goes by that I do not talk to some couple who are right on the edge of divorce and what they begin to describe to me as they describe where things are is everything I've been talking about this morning. The way, the way their conflicts are going, it is not a surprise that their relationship is where it is. We can put the verse back up on the screen from, that was from, message, from the message. The last part. Where do you think this all comes from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. We come because we want our own way and we fight for it deep inside ourselves. If instead we fought for love, we fought for the hearts of our children and our spouses and our friends, it would be a completely different situation. The greatest is love. In the book of Jude, little one chapter book towards the end of the, uh, end of the New Testament, Jude, the brother of James, says this. 
It's a great little prayer. May mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. And that's my prayer for you. May mercy, offering each other forgiveness because we are all fallible people. Peace, pursuing peace in our relationships. And love, the greatest thing of all that drives it all. May they be yours in abundance. Let us pray. Father God, thanks for loving us. Thanks for the gift of marriage. Thanks for the gift of love. Uh, Thanks for the gift of passion, the gift of friendship. Uh, the gift of agape, which is how you love us. It's the willful choice to, to pursue each other, to pursue you, to, to choose to treat each other kindly, to choose to keep the peace, to choose to live abundantly in mercy and peace and love. Lord, may each of us grow uh, in our ability, in, in our experience of loving you and of loving those in our lives. We ask all this in Jesus' name.